Our gospel reading for this morning, and also the basis of our sermon, from Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful. And began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better, would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Where do you want to eat? That's a question I think that's fairly common, at least in my life. question that I have asked and been asked countless number of times. Uh, where do you want to eat? Uh, a common question, and it can depend on the occasion, the situation. Right, if if we're out running errands and we just want to grab something quick, we might uh, head to a place that's maybe like Chipotle, or a little a little quicker. Right, uh, not a sit down kind of restaurant. However, if it's a a birthday, if it's an anniversary, if it's a wedding. Right? Where do you want to, to eat? All of a sudden, the context is a lot different. The situation is a lot different. We might go to a fancier place and have a more elaborate meal. Where do you want to eat is a question that sometimes someone asks to someone else who knows. right? Who knows the area knows what's good, what's not so good. Someone who knows us, knows our our 
likes and our dislikes. This, this evening, I'm having dinner with my friend Mark. Mark is a friend of mine. He went to the seminary, works for Concordia Plans in, in St. Louis now, and he's out here skiing with his son, who's 11 years old. And so we were texting as he was coming in and figured out, hey, let's grab dinner tonight. And so what did he ask? Where should we eat? Not only where should we eat, but where should we eat that 11 and an 11-year-old would enjoy, right? And so what did I do? I went to my 11-year-old, Isaac, and said, where do you think we should eat? And Isaac's coming with us tonight. Now, where do you want to eat? It, 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 can, it can vary. It's a common question, and we want to ask someone today. We are continuing through our, our Lenten sermon series through the book of Matthew. Actually, we're taking this whole year to go through the book of Matthew. Big overarching title of the series is Follow Me. And specifically during Lent, we're looking at the places of the passion. Now, what, what is Lent? Lent is a, a time where we prepare ourselves. We prepare ourselves for Passion Week, right? The, the week of our, our Lord's uh, death and resurrection. And so uh, as we are preparing ourselves, we're looking at these various places this year. And, and so far, these past few weeks, we've looked at Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem. We zoomed in then on the temple in Jerusalem. Last week, we, we looked at Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem. Today, we are looking at the upper room. Our text today starts out with essentially the disciples asking Jesus, Where do you want to eat? (laughs) They knew the Passover was coming that they were going to celebrate it together with Jesus. They knew that Jesus was the, the head of their, their family, if you will, their spiritual family and household that they were going to celebrate together. And so they asked Jesus, where do you want to eat? Now, now the Passover is something, is a meal that had been celebrated at this point nearly 1,500 years. They were commemorating the original Passover, which we read about in, Acts, in Exodus chapter 12, at least a portion of it. If you remember, at that time, 1,500 years before Jesus lived, the people of Israel were slaves. They're slaves to the Egyptians, and God wanted to get them out. God had sent, at that point, nine plagues upon the Egyptians, and just when it looked like Pharaoh, the king of the Egyptians, was about to let them go, he would pull back and say, no, 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 never mind, I changed, I changed my mind. And so, God was going to give a tenth plague, the ultimate plague, the plague of death, death of the firstborn, where every firstborn son and man and livestock is killed in that area, in the country of, of Egypt. But as God sent his, whole, his holy angel of death, to inflict this punishment upon the Egyptians. He wanted to protect 
his people, Israel. And so what did he do? He gave them a meal, something to eat. And they, they ate, and one of the things that they did is they, they killed a lamb, and then they took that lamb's blood and painted their doorposts with it. So that when the angel of death came by, what would he do? Pass over those pass over those families. And that happened. The angel of death came. Egypt was all torn up, and Israel got out while they could. And they went out quickly. Now, Jesus is, is celebrating this because this was a big day for the people of Israel. This was one of their three major feasts that they celebrated every year. And so they're celebrating and the disciples asked, where? Where do you want to eat? And so what did, what did Jesus do? He pointed them to a particular house. And this house is referred to as the upper room, or at least it held the upper room. And so you can kind of see here, here southwest of the temple, is the house where the upper room was. And so we were in, you know, here's Jerusalem, right? Kidron Valley. Here's Bethpage and Bethany, the suburbs of Jerusalem. Here's the temple. Here's the house. Now, what, what is special about this, this house? Um, it, it, first of all, it was larger than the average house of that day that an average Israelite in Jerusalem lived in. It was a, a large house, and this house more than likely was owned by the parents of John Mark. John Mark, who would later become the author of the Gospel of Mark. At this point, he was a very young man. And so, it seems that his, his parents, we know his mother's name is Mary. We, didn't know, we don't know his dad's name, but that they were followers of Jesus. And, and there are things that, that Jesus knows going into this meal. Things that he knows that, the, that impact where they're going to eat. First of all, Jesus knows at this point that the religious leaders in Israel and Jerusalem, that they're plotting to arrest him and to kill him. He knows this is happening. We can read about this earlier in the uh, chapter 26 in Matthew's Gospel, verses 3 through 5. What else does Jesus know? Jesus knows that there's been an insider, one of those closest to him, who has turned so that not everyone could be trusted. And so Jesus sends two disciples. We know from other gospel accounts that those were actually John and Peter. He sends them to locate this house and prepare the Passover meal. Jesus also knows this, that his time is at hand. This is said, this, this phrase is said multiple times throughout the gospel. In the beginning of the gospel, and gospel of Mark in particular, he says this, uh, 
The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe. The time is at hand. Right? So here it is. Now this time, his time, Jesus' time, in Greek, that word that sometimes we talk about is, is kairos. This isn't just any other ordinary time. This is a big moment, a life-changing moment, a big moment like a birth or a wedding or a funeral, something bigger than just the ticking of the clock. In fact, this is such a big kairos moment that it not only changed Jesus' life, it changed the entire world that we live within, his time was at hand, and Jesus knew it. And Jesus had previously identified this place, the upper room, and up until this point, it was an undisclosed location. He had set something up between the owners of this house so that when his time came, he could celebrate the Passover there. So it was in the city. Could have been in Bethany. Last week, that's where we were. Jesus was having another meal a few days earlier in the, in the town of Bethany. That would have been perfectly fine. But no, he set it up. It happened right within the city. He coordinated this with a trusted follower. The owners of this home were his disciples, people Jesus trusted, that they weren't going to betray him. And when the two disciples, John and Peter, go into the city, they're told to look for a, what Matthew tells us, a certain man. Now, Mark and Luke give us a little bit more to understand about this certain man. Tells us that, they tell us that this certain man would be carrying a jar of water. That might not sound like a big deal to us. But in that context, in that culture, carrying a jar of water, that was woman's work. And so for a man to be carrying a jar of water would set him apart from other men in that area. And so they knew, okay, this is the man to talk to. And I, th I think this is kind of, kind of interesting. They gave Jesus gave them a secret password, right? It, 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 you, you can maybe think of like a secret knock, right? Dun, dun, right? Or a secret handshake. Well, here they had a, a secret password. And the, here's the password. The teacher says, my time is at hand. Those words tipped off this individual, this man, certain man, carrying a jar of water, that these, th this was legit. These were disciples sent from Jesus that could be trusted, and so they moved forward. And so, Jesus knew. He knew where they should eat. And Jesus, you know, why all this secrecy? Because Jesus wanted to make sure that he got to celebrate this Passover meal with his disciples before the Jewish leaders, through Judas, could betray him. In fact, we know this. Not only do Matthew, Mark, and Luke record 
the institution of the Lord's Supper in their Gospels. But in, in the book of John, John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, all happen in the upper room. <laughs> so Jesus really wanted to, know, uh, to, to do this and to be with his disciples. Why? Because Jesus knows. What, what, can we, what can we take from this? First, we can understand this clearly, that Jesus, he's in control. Things might have looked like they were getting out of hand. People were trying to kill Jesus. The pressure, we know, was weighing on Jesus. And yet, he was in control. He was in control. And how much is that the case in our lives? When we sometimes look at the world and feel out of control, politics, the culture, things are going directions that... Man, doesn't seems like our vote is is useless. When when the church seems to be changing and we're frustrated with different things that are that are ahead. When a relationship is going south, and your spouse just keeps making poor decisions over and over, and you feel out of control, or you're a parent and you see your now adult children making. Poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. And you feel out of control. We know that in those moments, Jesus knows. That Jesus is in control of all of this and will use it for his glory and will use it for the salvation of the world. Jesus knows he knows where they were going to eat. He also knows who he's with. And this is where, where it gets kind of scary. Almost can feel like, like bad news. We're told in this text, when, when it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. That's the twelve disciples. And as they were eating this Passover meal, celebrating, commemorating what happened 1,500 years ago, he said to them, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus knew. He knew what was happening. And you know what's interesting? Jesus knew, but it almost seems like the disciples didn't. Going on, it says, and they were very sorrowful. Why were they sorrowful? These were people, these were men that they've been living with, traveling with, learning with, eating with for the past three years now. They knew each other, they trusted each other, they thought. They thought that they can lean on one another to have their back. One of them's going to turn? It starts to hit home. And they, and they all uh, were sorrowful and began saying to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? Notice how they don't turn immediately and say, 
Judas, of course. He's the betrayer. Like, we know that. Jesus knew that, right? Jesus is God. He knows all things. We know that because we have the advantage of, of Scripture and, and perspective of time and history. We can look back. Matthew's been tipping that off all throughout his gospel. The disciples didn't know that. They didn't know that Judas was going to turn. Is it I, Lord? It's almost like they're saying, not, not me, right? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Again, we can sometimes hear that through our perspective living in the 21st century and reading and knowing the end of the story, right? But Jesus, who is he eating with? Who is he dipping bread in the dish with? All 12 of them. <laughs> so in a sense, Jesus isn't answering the question here. He's, he's saying, one of you who are closest with me, who I've eaten with, will betray me. <laughs> Has hard words for Judas. It would be better for that man if he had not been born. I can't say that. Jesus can say that. I can't. But we, we have to respect what Jesus says here. What does Jesus know? He knows that after death uh, and after uh, the new creation, there, there are two places we can go. Heaven and be with Jesus in the new creation or hell. And that hell is not a nice place. It doesn't feel good. So that Jesus could even say these harsh words. And finally, Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And Jesus says to Judas what he later says to Caiaphas, what he later says to Pontius Pilate, You have said so. Heavy words. Judas is, at this point, realizing that he's been found out. Oh, Jesus, he knows. Matthew tells us several times in, in Matthew 9, in Matthew 12, in Matthew 22, Jesus, or Matthew tells us this, that Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he knows what we think, he knows what we feel, he knows us. Have you ever been in a discussion with a person and think to yourself, if you only knew? Maybe they mentioned something about, about childhood or, or suddenly your childhood nightmares return and you might say to yourself, if you only knew. Mention something maybe about their job, about marriage, about family. And you think, if you only knew. Our back tenses up. 
we have a polite smile on our face, but not on our heart. And we're thinking, if you only knew what I said, what I did, what I thought, you wouldn't even be talking to me. Heard one pastor say this before, that after a parishioner came up to him after the sermon and said, great sermon, pastor, his response was, if you could see within my heart, you would spit into my face. If you only knew. You know, we, you know some of you, maybe, maybe have uh, tac- tattoos to mark your past, par- uh, past struggles, past brokenness. Um, all of us have scars. <laughs> scars that we carry. And what is it for you? Uh, is it a, a failed marriage? A battle with the bottle? A meltdown at work? Or you lost your job? Maybe you haven't talked to your mother in years. Maybe you've fought with your spouse so long that you don't know how to begin again. Still for others, <laughs> other people might have through the time of life and chances and changes of life. Uh, Children have gone. Jobs have been lost. Those who were once close are now distant and died. In the midst of all our pain, all our grief, all our sorrow, all our wonder, we have a sinking feeling. How will we manage? We're hiding. We're all hiding some kind of pain. If you only knew. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus knows. That Jesus knows and that he knew at that moment in the upper room as they're having the meal, he knew the betrayer. He also knew the denier and the doubter Verse 31, just beyond our text, he says this, you will all, speaking to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me tonight. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He knew that every one of them would flee. And still, he prepares a place at the table for them. And still he eats with them. And still he goes to the cross for them. Taking their denying and doubting and even betraying upon the cross so that they can have life. Only Judas would have repented. We're called to repent. We're called to come to Jesus. Come to the one who knows. Because he doesn't just know. He cares. And he's conquered sin and death. He's triumphant. He's victorious over the grave. He knows us. And he's made a covenant with us. That, that's the word that's used in our text. That's the word 
we speak over the elements during the consecration, uh, covenant promise between two people. But more than just a promise, we've kind of lost that covenantal, covenantal language in our world today. Maybe the best place we can see it in even this is not a great place to see it, is in marriage, where a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, say, till death do us part. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, right? No matter what happens, till death do us part, we're going to stick it out. What are, what's being communicated in that covenant? That if you do what you're supposed to do and, hold, and uphold your end of the covenant... I'm going to uphold my end of the covenant. Covenant also says, and this is where it's different than a contract, if you don't do what you say you're going to do, and you don't uphold your end of the deal, I'll still uphold my end of the deal. That's the covenant that the Lord has made with us, with his children, a covenant of blood that has been poured out on Calvary's cross so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could have life. A covenant that the Passover meal had been pointing to for 1,500 years up to this point. And now, communion meal, the Lord's Supper that we take, points back to Jesus and this covenant that he's made with, with you. He knows you. He knows your, your sins. He knows your failures. He knows your needs. And he loves you. And he does something about that. Come to Jesus, trusting that he knows. And it's good. It's good for us all. Jesus knows. And he's given us this meal. A few years ago, a middle-aged Scottish woman, slightly overweight, walked out from behind the theater curtain, and her hair was going 100 different directions. Apparently, she didn't find her hairbrush that morning. She's wearing a kind of a frumpy dress, gold-laced, that wasn't very flattering, and people in the audience started to roll their eyes. There was a collective sigh, disappointment. This probably isn't going to go well. Until she began to sing. Her name, Susan Boyle, and on April 11, 2009, when she started to sing, when those words came out of her mouth, it was as if what didn't look like much <laughs> was shown for being the great, powerful thing that is. Here's my point. When we look at the Lord's Supper, what do we see? We see, we see bread. We see a wafer. We see a little cup of wine. It, honestly, it might not look like much. But our Lord Jesus sings over this with words. This is my body. This is my blood of the covenant for you. And when his words speak over these plain-looking elements, <laughs> they are powerful. 
They are life-changing. This is what we got to partake in this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for this extraordinary gift. For knowing us, knowing our needs, knowing exactly where to be. And so we followed Jesus. We followed him to the upper room. And from here, next week, we'll follow him to the Garden of Gethsemane. Amen.